Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Subject to Improvement podcast, a podcast which is itself, by the way, subject to improvement, but this is a podcast where we talk about the messy business of trying to be a better person, trying to be a better leader, trying to be better in all areas of our life, and kind of what that messy business looks like. And I have a particular interest in helping people manage their reputations. So needless to say, when this Jonah Hill controversy came out this week, I um, have lapped it up. I've really enjoyed it, frankly. Like, I know it's awful because I know that people are hurting, but I've been really fascinated to see how this whole thing has played out. And there are lots of different ways you can look at this issue, but I, um, I'm i just going to dig right in. So one thing I want to share is that um, this morning, I actually went back to TikTok after a hiatus of a couple of days. And so some of my videos that I had pre-filmed are being posted. And within about 10 seconds of a Jonah Hill video being posted of mine on TikTok, I already had messages. Like I already had like messages from the quote unquote haters, right? Like um, people are very, very opinionated about this topic. And one of the videos that I actually shared was really about questioning why this was shared publicly. And I think it's reasonable for us to ask those questions. But that automatically attracted people who were like, you know, this is victim blaming, this is triggering, this is all kinds of things. So I'm going to approach this from the lens of if I was coaching each of them, this is what I would say. I also think it's it's reasonable for us, and I'm just going to say this, I think it's reasonable for us as a society to acknowledge the fact that someone has had a negative experience but also acknowledge the fact that just because you've had a negative experience doesn't give you permission to do whatever you want afterwards. Like it's still possible to take an approach that is not constructive, that's like not nice after you've been hard done by. Case in point, you know, road rage. Like someone might cut you off and in that first instance, they're in the wrong. But then if you get out of your car and go and freak out on them and, you know, threaten them and all of that, then you become the bigger asshole in that situation. So I think that even in this situation, it is okay for us to acknowledge the fact that Sarah definitely had, you know, sounds like she had a really negative experience in this relationship and that it was really damaging for her. I think we can acknowledge that. I think we can express some solidarity and that, you know, we we send her light, love, healing, you know, whatever you want to send her, happiness. And we can acknowledge the interesting component of what has happened since she's gone public with it and sort of what the pros and cons of that decision were. And likewise, I also think we can take a look at Jonah Hill and say, you know, yes, he's a celebrity. Yes, he's all these things. But let's look at this behavior. And, you know, I think we can still question the behavior and question the motives behind it, and also think about it from the impact on society while acknowledging people's pain. So with that being said, let's get started. So first things first, you know, I have to be honest, this probably would have passed me by on any other week. But for some reason this week, I was in my BuzzFeed and I saw this post. And at first it looked like just another social media post by a woman who was pissed off at her ex-boyfriend and wants to out him for being a world-class bag of dicks. Um, And, you know, those examples are everywhere, right? Like there's lots of people that are posting crap that their exes have done, you know, and kind of being like, look at what an asshole this person is. The interesting thing about this story, of course, is that the newest candidate for this kind of public shaming, plus or minus cancellation, is Jonah Hill. So um, to begin, I'm going to say, you know, Jonah Hill does seem like a bit of a character. Um, I didn't 
look up his pre-existing reputation really before coming on here. I, I like wrote something out that I was as I was preparing for this podcast episode and you know thinking about this. I didn't look up his pre-existing reputation, but this is interesting because I still had it in my head that he had a reputation of acting like a bit of a douchebag from time to time. Like I had that idea in my head, which is an interesting data point from a reputation management standpoint that that was already the thought I had in my brain. And I can't even tell you why. Like I can't point to something specific that says this is why I thought this. It was just that was the vibe I was getting. Um, You know, I think my honest read on him is that he's definitely coming across as someone who has a considerable ego. And that, you know, that's a given. I watched part of his documentary uh, about his psychiatrist and I kind of got the vibe that he was, um, that there was a bit of an ego there too. Like, I'm just going to be straight up. He didn't seem like the kind of guy that I would want to have. He wouldn't, he wouldn't pass the two beers in a puppy test. Like, I don't know if you guys know that test, but that's the test where it's like, you know how we can all have one beer with some or drink of your choice to be polite with somebody, but like, you know, whether or not you order the second drink really speaks to whether you enjoy their company. And then, you know, you, there's also people who you would order more than two beers with, but you wouldn't leave your puppy with them because they're not responsible. And so I think Jonah Hill kind of fails. Like I collect people in my life who are two beers and a puppy people, meaning I, that they're so much fun and so awesome to be around. I'd order a second drink, but also worst case scenario, if I needed to trust them with something really important, like my dog, I would trust them with that. So I think Jonah Hill fails that that test for me. Um, and, you know, I understand that he wants to, you know, raise awareness about mental health and that type of thing. Fair play for that. But like I said, I'm just going to be frank with you. Like, he doesn't seem like the kind of guy that I'd want to hang out with. I find his movies entertaining. Uh, but, you know, real life is sometimes different. I'll also say that when I read the first text messages that were released, because there's been a couple of rounds that have been released, The first one, you know, where he was listing out his requirements and kind of talking about his boundaries and all of that stuff. Like, I think, you know, at best, we could say that those texts represent a masterclass in how to be a controlling asshole in a relationship. Like those, particularly the one where he was talking about his list and he was limiting, you know, not only what she would wear in public, which pisses me off, by the way, like for the record, um, you can wear whatever you want in public. It's not your fault if people hit on you. It's not, you know, that's that's on them. Um, but also when he was talking about, you know, friends from shady pasts, you know, friends friends with uh, friends who are on are in unstable places. And I think he said friends from your shady past or something. Like it just sounded like that was not that was enough to have me as a female go, like I would not want to be in a heterosexual relationship or any kind of relationship with him. The other thing though, is that I think at worst, his texts are only the tip of a more sinister iceberg. And um, that was confirmed when I read the second round where it was like after they'd kind of broken up and they were sort of having a bit of a spat about the appropriateness of whether, you know, the relationship Jonah was having with Sarah while he was starting a relationship with somebody else. Like, and that I think, you know, the tip of the iceberg thing is probably a, a very real possibility. Anyway, think pieces are popping up everywhere, dissecting each part of these text messages um, and also taking this situation and extrapolating it to potentially be a representation of um, society at large. And there's a lot more people that are coming forward to say that the guy is, in fact, in their opinion, a bag of dicks. So things must be really tricky for Jonah right now. 
Let's talk a little bit about Sarah, though, because the way the first texts were released, it there was like to me, it seemed like there was a vibe of trying to get even, you know, trying to get justice, and it was it you know, veiled as, hey, girls, you know, if anyone's talking to you like this, like run and, you know, reach out to me. Um, But there was like, it did feel a bit, and this is my subjective experience of the text message, you know, of what she shared. It felt a little bit like she was trying to get some justice. Like it felt a little bit like um, she wanted to out him for being an ass. And the problem is that, you know, she's kind of She's doing it. And then she said that she was, you know, keeping it in was worse for her mental health than than leaking it could ever have been or than, you know, sharing it could ever have been. So if I was her coach, one of the things that I would have talked about is sort of I would have asked her what she was hoping to achieve by outing him. And I think I'm not criticizing necessarily the decision to do it. I think, you know, the decision is what it is. What I'm asking is, you know, what was she hoping to achieve? And sort of what what do we think about that as a society? Because I think what's happened is that she's kind of gone – it's almost like she's seeking her own justice and it's almost like she's doing it in the court of public opinion without going through other avenues. And as a lawyer, I find this really interesting because if she had started – if she'd started a lawsuit, for example, if there was some kind of agreement – and there was some suggestion of this, but if there was some kind of agreement in place where she would cool down the social media posts and he would pay her for opportunities that she lost, if they had some kind of legally binding agreement for that – then potentially there could have been a lawsuit. And when you file a lawsuit against somebody super famous, it's really only a matter of time before the press picks it up. So it's like, in that case, her outing him for doing it would have been secondary to seeking justice in a way that traditionally has been like society approved, right? Um, There's other ways it could have also been brought up. You know, this was one of those things like, it wasn't like someone did an investigative scoop. Like it was very much her decision to release the text messages. And I didn't even think about the angle of the text messages themselves being private and kind of that sort of invasion of privacy. But what stuck out to me about this decision was that it was something that she did herself. And um, it didn't seem like there was the uh, the motive behind doing so wasn't exactly clear. I think weirdly had she said, look, like the guy's posting, the guy's making documentaries about mental health and he's, you know, trying to put himself out there as being this really like woke, not even woke, but like really like gentle, you know, champion for mental health and yet he is inflicting this kind of experience on me and maybe other people in the background, like the hypocrisy of that is killing me. And it was just getting to me so much I had to release this. I think there's a part of me that probably would have respected that a little bit more. And maybe that was actually what was going on. It was just the way it was managed from a PR perspective and from a reputation perspective that seemed a tiny bit clunky. It seemed a tiny bit clunky. So if she had been my client, my first question I would have asked was, what do you want to get out of this? Like, what do you want to achieve by outing him for this. And then also, how do we protect your image? Because this is terrible, but people are very opinionated. Like I'm sitting here on a podcast talking about this and I have my opinions about this. People are very opinionated and not everybody was going to come down on this on her side. Like some people were going to be like me, 
and thinking like, wow, these texts are horrendous, but also what's going on? Like, why is she sharing this? Is this like, is she trying to get them canceled? Like what's up? So controlling as much as you can for that possible experience and kind of making sure that when you do go public with something like this, you're covering those other bases so that at least people understand what's going on and they understand your motives and they don't, they're less tempted to create their own stories about it, which they're always going to do anyway. In my head, could have been really helpful, could have been really, really helpful. And also, you know, let's let's think about this from the perspective of the education that's coming from this, because there are some good, and listen, we're going to get to Jonah in a minute. Like we're going to get to the, um, the way that his he came across and, and sort of the educational components of what's okay and what's not okay in a relationship. Like, let's talk about that. So, you know, the education aside, you know, it, it also, there is a PR lens to this and there is a component of benefit that she will get from this. Like, not only will we all benefit from talking about this, these behaviors in relationships, but she also can, is benefiting. Like a week ago, I don't, I mean, I don't know about you guys. I'm not a surfer, so I didn't know who she was. And and with all respect to her, I did not know who she was a week ago. And now I know who she is. And now she's been in like every single major publication that comes across my phone. So as somebody who is a surfer and surfers do well if they're celebrities in their own right, it's hard not to see how she's benefited from this information being disseminated. And so, you know, there would, there could have been ways that she could have come out with this and actually maximized that survivor um, story that she had and and also insulated herself against some of this criticism and really sort of turned it into a force for good instead of what it sort of looked like to some people, you know, about how maybe like this, like, was it necessary? People who are asking, like, was it necessary for you to go public with this? Could you have gotten your point across in a different way? You know, some people, to some people, it may, if to me at the beginning, I'll be honest, it did feel a bit vindictive. It felt a bit petty and calculated. And the response uh, that, you know, her reasoning that she offered, that she went public with it so that because keeping it to herself was causing more damage to her mental health than sharing it could ever do, didn't really seem to add up because as soon as you're the face of public scrutiny and you feel like you're the face of public scrutiny, that's really, really difficult as well. So I think from her perspective, I would have asked again that question of what do you want to achieve and let's work backwards from there. And maybe she wouldn't have changed a thing. But what I have found with my clients is that it's so much easier to live with the outcome of your decision if you were informed about the possibility of that outcome going into it. And so um, that I'm going to leave it there with Sarah. And obviously, like I said, I I really feel for her. And uh, this is actually going to be a good segue into getting into talking about Jonah because I do. And of course, I'm speaking about them as if I'm their friend, right? Like I'm on the first name basis with them. I'm not for the record. Um, They do not know me and I only know of them. So I think though, like when we, when, when we come back to Sarah and when we think about this from the perspective of somebody who's been in this kind of controlling relationship, and um, I will say like, I think a lot of people have had experiences where uh, they've been in relationships and you're trying to negotiate where the lines in the sand are going to be. And I think a lot of us have had had the experience of feeling like the other person was trying to put too much control over us uh, in a relationship. And some people get out of it really, really quickly. And, and other people, 
uh, take a little bit longer to do that because the situation is less clear. So I feel for her having been in that situation. And I so hope, and it sounds like she's getting, you know, help. And and I just, I wish for her that she heals from this. And I, I hope she comes out of this in a really, really good place. Let's talk a little bit about that relationship dynamic though, because I think there's, there is a component of those text messages, many components that feel so icky. And one of them, as I think about it more, is like the inherent power difference between Jonah and Sarah in this circumstance. He was more of a celebrity than she was. Um, even if we just go by like notoriety and uh, Instagram followers, he definitely was more of a celebrity than she was. It sounds like he had more financial um, he had more financial resources available to him than she did. And those two things – oh, and also he's a dude, right? And we're still in a misogynistic, heteronormative society. So like there's that too. So really in terms of like if we were doing a power audit, in this relationship, I think Jonah had a lot of power. And I also wouldn't be surprised – I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised if Sarah was kind of thinking like, you know, this guy has a few things that are – would equal – quote unquote safety for me, right? Like he's he he has some financial security. So being associated with him, being his partner might mean I would get some financial security too. And also he's got a comfort level with being a celebrity. And I'm not in like if she wants to be a celebrity, go for it. Like that's awesome. You do you. But she also might have been wise to the fact that by being with him, there was an opportunity for her too from a personal and professional perspective. So he had a lot of power. And one of the things that crossed my mind when I was reading that list was, I wonder if there was a part of her that was worried that this is the norm. Like, I wonder if there was a part of her that thought, okay, like I'm dating celebrities now. Is this just what dating a celebrity is like? Like, is this what I'm supposed to be putting up with in a relationship? And that question of like, oh my God, is this actually happening to me? And is this okay? And sort of that experience of should I be putting up my own boundaries? Should I be getting out of this? And like feeling torn is a really, that's it's a real experience, especially when you mix it with having some feelings for somebody. So if I was Jonah's coach, and sometimes my clients actually have me do this. Like sometimes my clients will say, I'm thinking of sending a text message. I feel like it's going to cause a problem. Can you, Susanna, please take a look at it and let me know. First of all, one of the things I would have said to him is, yes, you think these are private text messages, but especially when you're a celebrity, anything you put in writing can come out and be used against you. Like that to me is just like that's a given if you're a celebrity is that you have to be careful what you put in text messages. You have to be careful what you put in writing because screenshots exist and screenshots live on, right? Like you can delete a message, but if someone's recording the screen, then things live on in perpetuity. So I would have said to him, be very fucking careful what you put in your text messages. Even if you think you're expressing yourself super clearly, those things can always be twisted against you. So that's thing number one. The next thing I would say is I would be asking him how he would feel if he was on the other side of that text message. If she had written to him and said, please don't post thing, you know, this of you, you look too pretty in this picture, you know, please don't post this. Please don't hang out with your shady friends. You know, please don't do all of these things. I would have asked him how he would have felt because 
it does feel like there was not only an unequal bargaining position because of the power dynamic, but I I almost wonder if he would have run for the hills if somebody had done that to him and said, actually, these are my quote unquote boundaries in a relationship. I wonder how that would have made him feel. Uh, because most people and like in my 20s, I read I read books about like dating and stuff like that. And they always say like men don't want to feel caged. Well, I don't think anybody wants to feel caged and certainly not by somebody else. We all like to have our own personal sense of agency and power, you know, and our sense of control. So um, that almost seems a bit like dating 101, like thou shalt not exert control over your partner, right? Like that just seems a bit silly. So I would have asked him about that. I also would have asked him what his idea of the best boyfriend on earth is because he he did say that he was the best boyfriend on earth. And he like followed it up. It was like two texts, like I'm the best boy- boyfriend. And then the next text was like on earth. I'd be curious about what he thinks that looks like um, because I can tell you that I, you know, I have what I would consider to be a very healthy relationship now with my husband. I've, you know, people talk to me about their relationships and um, I, I, I'm not sure that they would agree that he was the best boyfriend on earth, right? So there's also that. And then the other thing that I would be thinking about like with him is, um, you know, dude, you're calling this a boundary. What I actually think it is, is a preference. It's a line in the sand and it's what you need to feel safe. And um, I don't, you know, unfortunately that's, that actually has the power potentially to hurt somebody else if they're not coming into this from a place of strength. And if they feel like they're being coerced or if they feel like they're being controlled, then that's also not okay. So I would be curious and coaching does not heal the past. Like this type of insecurity seems like something if he had come to me with that, I would have been like, we got to go back to your therapist and and explore this with your therapist because this feels like it's going to be something that's going to come back and keep, you know, keep bugging you. Um, from a fixing this perspective, from Jonah Hill's perspective, one thing I think is that's going to be really interesting is to see how his lawyers respond to this over the next few days. They've already responded to somebody else who came out of the woodwork and said something happened when they were 16 at a party. Maybe he was older than 16. Uh, and his lawyers have already come out and said that was a complete fabrication. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what comes of that because there also might be receipts that show up and you might have to pivot. One thing I am wondering, and I and I said this online, was um, it kind of goes back to this use of therapy speak. And also, I think that that's something that is slightly – I don't want to say douchey in relationships, but I'm going to say douchey. Like I, fe- I felt like his use of therapy speak was slightly douchey because a boundary – and you know what? I'm not a therapist, so I'm not going to try to define this. But like a boundary in my sense is sort of like if you cross this line, I'm going to start to feel unsafe, like really unsafe. Um, and then, you know, there's kind of like, to me, a boundary is a very serious thing and a boundary, you know, has the capacity to affect the rest of your life. So maybe he says, you know, this is my boundary in a relationship. I can't be with somebody like this because I'm that insecure. I'm not saying that's okay, by the way. Um, but I, I also, I totally buy what people are saying about how therapy speak can be weaponized. And it's almost like they were sort of weaponizing therapy speak against each other when you read the text messages and sort of, you know, weaponizing this um, new way, not even new, but just, you know, tools that they're using to try to be respectful to themselves and others that they were kind of using that against them. I think that's a thing. 
I totally, you know, any kind of undue exercise of power, you know, to try to over somebody else that doesn't have as much power feels icky to me. So that also felt icky. Um, so yes, so that's the therapy speak thing. From a damage perspective, though, one thing I would be saying is, is this, you know, what what damage is this going to be doing to Jonah's career and both of their careers for that matter? And is there something actionable here? And this would also go if I was coaching Sarah, because one of the things that we, I'm sure lots of people went to was, is this going to be the next Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial? Like, you know, um, is Sarah sharing her personal experience with this going to count as defamation of character? You know, she's labeled him an emotional abuser. And so is that, first of all, is that true? Is that a fair label? It might be reflective of her experience, but then, you know, the next question is going to be, is there a potential lawsuit here because of the the seriousness of the allegations and, um, you know, whether she's, and I guess the question is going to be whether she can prove that it's all true. And yes, she's got the text messages, but I just wonder if there's going to be something that will come of this uh, in a more serious fashion or whether his team is going to just sort of say, you know what, let's see if this will just kind of all blow over, you know, let's see, let's see what this is. But I would be, you know, if I was on his team, I'd be thinking pretty hard about that kind of thing to sort of say, okay, you know what, I'd be looking to see what kind of damage is happening, like not just from a financial perspective, but kind of what, what the reputational damage actually is. I would already be in sort of overdrive trying to do some containment and some damage control on that. But then I would also be looking at how are we going to shape this so that we can come out of it? And and what are we going to do with this? And maybe, maybe if it is true, if there is no defense, like from a lawsuit defamation of character standpoint, maybe what he needs to do is apologize. And maybe what he needs to say is, you know what, like this has been making it really apparent that I have some work to do still. And I'm so deeply sorry for the harm I have caused, you know, and I am totally reflecting and working on it. Like maybe that's what he needs to do. And even like if we were putting the lawsuit considerations aside, I just think sometimes apologies are so powerful, you know, actually often apologies are so powerful and often just saying, you know, I inflicted this harm on you and I'm really sorry I did that. I'm really sorry that happened. Can and and to show that you're working on it like that kind of accountability piece of yeah, I'm going to do the deep self-reflecting. I'm going to do the work to get better to make sure that I don't do this to somebody else. That can be a really really powerful and healing experience for everybody involved um not just for the victim. So that's another thing I'd be thinking about if I were him is is this a case where I need to apologize. And the lawyer in me is always like, don't apologize because you're admitting fault, you're admitting liability. But I think if we're going to be getting to a society where nobody's apologizing because we're all afraid of stuff being used against us, I think we're going to be denying ourselves an awful lot of healing, an awful lot of healing. So where does this leave us? Well, um, I think that I I think it's going to be interesting. I think this is going to be an interesting story to watch. I think that this definitely brings in some components of cancel culture. And I think also, you know, just this discussion of the court of public opinion, you know, versus other actual courts. Like people, in actual courts, people are allowed to make complaints about each other. They're allowed to make allegations. And 
what happens is you have to go through this process to prove your allegations in court. And then once that's proven, then we start looking at what the damage is and you have to prove your damage as well. But there's more to it than just saying, pointing your finger at someone and saying they're an asshole in in an actual court system. And that doesn't always seem to be the case in the court of public opinion. So I think the other thing that's interesting here is, and this is where I was getting at with my first videos, where I got some haters was, is this an appropriate use of the court of public opinion? And you know, what do we think about this? Like, do we want to be part of a public that is used as a manipulation tool in some of these circumstances? And you know, what, what, how do we want our world to be? Like, ultimately, this comes back to how do we want our world to be? How do we want to resolve our disagreements or resolve our differences? And I typically speaking, I always start from the, from the premise that if there's a way to be constructive, if there's a way to solve this without hurting somebody else, if there's a way to get justice in a way, in a way that's fair, equitable, and you know, thinking of people and not trying to leave anybody worse off, but instead trying to just be, like I said, fair and trying to do the right thing. Um, that's always been my approach. Really, that's always been my preferred approach. And I think that for the sake of us all just getting along it's not a bad approach to go back to and just say, hey, is there a way? It's never a bad idea to say, is there a way we could have done this better? Is there a way we could have got the same result that we wanted? You know, is there a way that we could have approached this such that it doesn't trigger a whole bunch of people and such that it doesn't potentially ruin one or both people's lives? Like that's in my head, I feel like that's a fair question. And that's the question I'm going to be asking myself as this whole thing unfolds. So um, as ever, I am subject to improvement. We are all subject to improvement. This has been the Subject to Improvement podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. And I am looking forward to catching up with you guys next time. In the meantime, if you want to stay in touch, you can actually book a free call with me if you want to have some coaching. Uh, No one has ever said that they felt worse after talking to me. So there's that. So you can do that using the link in the show notes. You can also jump on my email list. There'll be a link in the show notes for that too. Uh, Or you can follow me on social media. I am on TikTok and Instagram and LinkedIn, Susanna, S-U-S-A-N-N-A-H, last name M-A-R-G-I-S-O-N. Have a great day, everyone.